0: This is our podcast about politics, religion, the media, and our opinion about all of the culture. culture. (laughs) Okay guys, we're going to be honest with you. Um, Taylor forgot to hit the (laughs) record button on my mic. Thanks for being honest for us. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be honest, for Taylor, <laughs> our IT guy, Taylor <laughs> Daniel, just Bartlett. one button. There's a
1: lot of buttons to remember.
0: <laughs> so we actually just thought we were recording a whole podcast, so we started over.
1: <laughs> it was just recording me.
0: So we we got some practice in. So we're gonna we're gonna start over with this conversation. With Rachel's you. fuming. <laughs> so here we go. This is our podcast with our opinions. What are we talking about? We are going back in time to last week. and Last
1: Wednesday.
0: Wow. It just, weeks lately feel like years. Um, Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about President Biden's 100-day speech.
1: Joint Um, address to Congress.
0: Yeah. It wasn't a State of the Union. It felt like it, kind of, because it was a half full, you know, chamber with... socially distanced members and anyway not everyone was there right um but president biden this is uh his kind of launch of his new anti-poverty working class plan called the american families plan uh he rolled it out it has a 1.8 trillion dollar price tag let that sink in i know you can't even imagine nope 1.8 trillion dollars. And this is on top of the huge COVID relief bill that he and Congress passed at the beginning of the year, which we talked about in another podcast.
1: On top of...
0: (laughs) On top
1: of... Another proposal is $2 trillion infrastructure proposal.
0: Just insane. Which, you know, he calls the jobs plan. It's going to create all these jobs. Billions of jobs, he says.
1: (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's like... I have this theory that I haven't said publicly yet, but the the level of caring that people seem to give to government spending, like $1 spent by the government, no one cares, but then if it's like caring goes way up to its peak, around $700 billion, and people get really upset about whatever, and then <laughs> when you hit the trillion, 1.3 trillion, people go back to zero and like not caring. I think it's just like it's too difficult to wrap one's mind around
0: yeah you can't even imagine that much spending um so yeah this plan you know ostensibly is to uh help people in the working class and help the poor to um, Mm -hmm. lead better lives that's the goal stated goal um but we're here to tell you that we don't think it will accomplish don't
1: think it's gonna work I mean, we—it's been history was replete. Was American history. American history is replete with these programs that have you know been pro- had all these promises, high-flown promises. You know, Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty begun in the early '60s. Poverty's still around. It's been like barely a dent. You know, education, public education spending for child has just gone up and up and up and up. And I think we're in like forty thousand dollars per pupil now for public education systems. Mm-hmm. And you know, you look at the price tag of a good p- private school in your area; it's probably forty k, <laughs> <If> um, less. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And his speech just reminded me of uh, my Model UN experience in college, where uh, it was it was very <laughs> illuminating. <laughs> it, mainly just how quickly, when you're you're given like the bureaucratic hat, it's just you have all this, you know, highfalutin speak about you know we're gonna have such and such agriculture program. And then we're <laughs> going to talk with this other nation and we're going to have this like trade deal. And it all just works out in model UN because it's not real. Biden's speech had the same very like aspirational. you know, This is, this is my idea of how it's going to work. When we spend this money, then we're going to out pops, you know, prosperity and mm. a good mm-hmm. life for all. When I think the record shows quite the opposite. And then we want to make a point too about the president proposing this. Like he doesn't, Dictate mm. government spending, right?
0: Right, right. That's a good point of, um, you know, this is a little scary to think about. Oh, my goodness, President Biden's going to do this. If you're or maybe out... you love it. <laughs> <laughs> True. Maybe you're like, spend all the money. <laughs> um, but if you're outside the D.C. bubble, you know, presidents put forward their aspirational plans. Every right. president does this. Their aspirations, right. their vision. That's what a president does for his party. Um he can the president cannot tax the president cannot do these big spending programs does not have that power right it has to go through congress yep. pass the house pass the senate and it is highly unlikely that a package of the size and of this con of these contents would pass a senate um that is has only 50 democratic members you have to get 60 votes to pa- pass a bill unless you do some weird procedural stuff that cuts out other <laughs> you know issue so um th- there's a don't don't get your panties in a wad that this is <laughs> happening tomorrow <laughs> um highly unlikely that there's going to be some big bipartisan consensus on something like this
1: but i'm still upset about the aspirational nature of it just right because i mean it's like a strategy we're going to put this marker out way over here now you congress meet you know, get as far as you can it's because he's talking to his party, particularly in the House and I guess the Senate, too, right? Like, the mm-hmm. Democrats control both chambers, barely in the Senate. But uh, just the, the amount of money. Oh what, my gosh, the expansion of government.
0: What's Lucille Bluth when she looks at the menu at Climpey's? <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's a great scene. Yeah, yeah. I wish I could buy Climpey's just to burn it to the ground. Um oh the uh I'll have the Icantina tuna salad. Plate or platter. I don't understand the question and I won't respond to it.
0: Yeah, that's kind of uh, how I I look at this plan. I don't understand your premise and I won't respond to it. (laughs) Uh it uh I just I, I think we kind of just flatly reject some of the promises that it makes. So, we'll go through some of
1: these. And we don't doubt that they're coming from good intentions, right?
0: Right. We all have the same... Biden wants to help
1: people. Yeah. This is, I think, coming from a very good, well-intentioned place. It just ain't going to work like you think it will.
0: Right. We we have the same goal as President Biden. Mm -hmm. We want to see people live prosperous, flourishing lives, to not be worried about, you know, being paycheck to paycheck not right. be worried about how to pay for their kids childcare, et etc um yes. but we just think that a giant federal program to do this is not going to accomplish it because you know you look at any dollar spent out of the federal government one it's coming from a taxpayer's pocket yes. right it's not magic money so there's that yes two a dollar spent by the federal government is not as effective as a dollar spent by you or I, or by the private sector, um, or even the state government or the local government, mm-hmm. um, because how these how these anti-poverty welfare programs work is typically the federal government gives the money to the states. So you've got bureaucrats in D.C., giving money to bureaucrats in a state to administer to bureaucrats at a local level. So it's just like wandering through all these people. And then it has all these strings attached that says, well, if you're going to... Um, Take our federal dollars and you have to do X, Y, and Z. Right. Well, that's pretty prescriptive and it doesn't give flexibility for, right. um, you know, the the population that is dealing with poverty in Florida is much different than the population in Montana, mm-hmm. right? And so there's different yeah, absolutely. Yeah. different challenges, different strategies, different populations, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So um, th- that's one of many reasons um, that we 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 think it's better to keep the dollars at the state or the local level and at the private level, at the charitable level.
1: Even better in your pocket. <laughs> Everyone's pocket. Um, So there were some specific proposals, what, about pre-K, universal pre-K to two years, quote, free community <laughs> college.
0: Non-priced, as you would exactly, say. Exactly.
1: Non-priced. I worked at a think tank where there are people put up books in a box, you know, to give away whoever wanted them. And it was non-priced books because nothing is ever free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. As Rachel was saying, this money is coming okay, from somewhere.
0: Grandpa. <laughs> um,
1: non-priced community college.
0: So some of, some of the items in here is universal child care. So free child care for everyone. And then um, cradle to college education. So... Uh, universal pre-K, which has long been a democratic goal. Um, Mm -hmm. So free pre-K for every child through um, free two years of community college. And so you might look at that and say, well, what's so wrong with that? Everyone should have that. Um, But another big problem, and again, this kind of runs into any government program, is you're always going to be on top of the the price tag of this. Mm-hmm. You're also going to constrict choices for people. Right. Um when you have a big federal program that prescripts this, it ends up crowding out different choices, um, which has a real cost to people. And so I'll give a really good example of this pre-k we live in the state of virginia now we used to live in washington dc dc um the city gives free universal pre-k for everyone doesn't matter your income um Hmm. any child can go to pre-k for free and um you might say well that's great um but the only option is full day long five days a week pre-k in the public schools Uh, And so naturally, you know, private schools, little church pre kindergartens, et cetera, um, they uh, they don't they aren't able to compete with free uh, public schools. So they don't exist in the city, really. I mean, there's a couple of Catholic ones, a couple of you know, co-ops or whatnot, um, we move out and I, I kind of just thought that's how things were in this area. Huh. We move out to Virginia and there's like a little pre-K on every corner. It's true.
1: That's true. <laughs> um, and we, you have to do like the full, you have to full blast or nothing right in DC. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Like, yeah. like you can't, you can't go to the public school and say, well, I only want a couple of half days a week. And so, you know, for, for families like ours, we didn't, we didn't want our two-year-old in full-day school. Mm-hmm. We wanted a couple half-days a week, um, but there's no way we could find that or afford that. It's true in DC. It was only what the free government offerings were, or nothing. Um, and so, and and that's the problem with a lot of this is mm-hmm. it crowds out uh, different options for people, and especially now as. We, ha- we have a very flourishing, economic, pr- prosperous country mm-hmm. where um, choices and innovative opportunities are arising left and right. You know, I have the choice. I can send Hudson to a Montessori school. I can send Hudson a couple half days a week to a church preschool. Um, th- there There are many options. So, just this. This is an example that happens in many different government programs. It's just this one size fits all federal program, right, or nothing,
1: right? And it doesn't. It, yeah, it ends up crowding out because it's it's programs having to compete against free, right? And At least in the case of DC, and I think in public education system as well. And it's just moving beyond that, you know, out of the education space into you know other government programs or what have you. I mean, it's. It, <laughs> it distorts the market as we would say. And I think what irked me the most in this speech is how he, he proposed to pay for all this was to increase taxes on people who earn $400,000 a year and more. And he had the line they need to pay their pay their fair share, just their fair share. And just, what what is that what does that mean? Where are you getting fair from? It's just this playground ethical system of they have more than I do. That's not fair. Well why? Well it's just not. Okay. Well you, I mean Taylor,
0: Jeff Bezos is icky.
1: <laughs> Jeff Bezos, icky. Okay. And the two there are too many billionaires. There's this there seems to be this notion that there's too many billionaires, too many millionaires, and like more rich people is somehow bad for bad for the world. There aren't enough billionaires. <laughs> there aren't enough millionaires. Jeff Bezos and what he and the people at Amazon have created is fantastic and it's saved Hours, you know, tens of hours of time off the average Amazon shopper from like pointless trips to the store, environmental impacts even Mm -hmm. from driving around, finding parking. The amount, certainly in cities, the amount of uh, time and energy cars spend just trying to find parking, (laughs) it's it's through the roof. And the value for disabled people having things delivered, voice activated assistance. It's it's really an incredible, incredible store. And thank you, Jeff Bezos, for. Making in...
0: Especially moms, not having... Amazon. Getting your groceries delivered, come on. Yeah,
1: <laughs> absolutely. So this is... It just really... I, I It just seems so arbitrary to me, this notion of people making... Like the notion that people can make too much money and therefore the government should take it from them. Well, by, even, by force. This is what it, it comes down to.
0: Right, right.
1: And well, even if you took a 100% of the <laughs> earnings of all the top income earners that wouldn't pay the bills... Certainly, it wouldn't pay. Maybe would pay the bills for like a year, right? In federal government expenditures, then you'd be out of money to tax the people. But then the whole deficit—I think we're up to like what twenty-five trillion dollars.
0: Well, let's just talk too about that zero-sum thinking. It's that if Jeff Bezos has all that money, that means that poor people can't have any money, and that—that's not actually how the economy works, right? If Jeff Bezos right. takes a slice of the pie it's not that it depletes the pie there's more pies <laughs> right to be had so it's the zero-sum thinking that i think people naturally get kind of that that's their first mode because that's how like your family finances work right if you go spend our budget <laughs> on a new watch then i don't get to spend that money on a new pair of shoes it's or... awfully specific <laughs> et etc cetera, etc cetera. <laughs> just say but but that is not how the economy works exactly right
1: yeah people in uh and below the poverty line or around the poverty line they move it's year to year the same people are not constantly there. there is a subset of the population that is right but it's not by no means fixed and i love what i gosh i think it was thomas soul that walmart has done more to alleviate poverty Mm -hmm. than any government program um like, it's absolutely true. And this kind of dovetails, you know, to discussion about, you know, labor and unions and right. $15 minimum wage, which were also mentioned in the speech. That's a whole nother discussion. Um, but bottom line, I think the speech was antithetical to, at least where I'm coming from, that government's purpose is to protect life, liberty, and property. And if <laughs> my dream would be to have a presidential state of the union so the president would send it in, in a letter like they did back in the day and say, All right, you know, it's good. We've got this foreign conflict and it'd be probably like a, two paragraphs long. And he said he, would say, he or she would say, send me some bills and I'll review them. And that's it.
0: Oh, Taylor.
1: <laughs> that's my dream.
0: <laughs> that's your utopia. But listen, I mean, we can't. Deny that there are serious problems. Of you know, um, it it is really hard to get by nowadays with the cost of goods, the cost of living, childcare costs. Um, for now, you know, both parents typically have to work. Um, it just feels harder than it did to um, get by. And, um, I, and I, I, think these are all things that we should think. I mean, I think, what is it this week? It came out that the birth rates are declining dramatically. And a lot of it's people feeling economic insecurity. Some people say hmm. a l- large discussion about why fertility is oh dropping gosh, so much yeah. in the country. But one, one thought is, you know, people don't feel economically secure enough to have more kids. That's a big problem. Um, so I do think that, um, we we care about that. Yes. People, lots of people. We all care about that. Yes. The thing is, we're saying that um, a big federal program is not the best way to spend one point eight trillion dollars. Right. Um, we think that local institutions do it better. Like, let's think about ways to remove barriers to local support, to family formation. Oh my gosh, to building
1: um, things. Yes. Like zoning to, laws, you know. No minimum wage law, like made easier to hire people. Yes, who don't have maybe the skill set you need immediately.
0: Or Just start removing barriers for people to flourish and provide. I, I do think there is, I mean, poverty, especially in this country, is not necessarily material. It's often spiritual, right? Mm, um, it's true. I mean, it's so we could start a whole other podcast talking about substance abuse right. and um, all of. You know, the deep poverty in this country is typically tied with substance abuse, right? Or mental health. or So So there are other things to be solved, but that's not going to be solved by a big federal program. Um, yep. But people should be thinking innovatively about this. And I think, you know, if states and localities want to try experimenting, Stockton, California experimented with a universal basic income that seems pretty mm-hmm. successful. They gave yeah, they did. every single person $500, um, it was like work, a,
1: it was not everyone in the city. It was like a small, like a subset, a right? Test pool, yeah, 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 yeah. But
0: it, um, it didn't matter what their income was. They didn't mm-hmm. do it based on you know wh- how much money you make, income eligibility, and lots of great outcomes of people actually um, entering the workforce and mm-hmm. um, better mental health. I think they said it had the same effects as uh, giving someone a Prozac.
1: <laughs> well, one woman who participated said. I you think she's getting the extra five hundred a month? She said she stopped taking her uh, some medication. I think for anxiety. Yeah,
0: I think it was Prozac because it
1: it lo- lowered yeah her stress level. She said.
0: Yeah, and and there is something to that psychologically of having a little bit of security gives you the ability to go out and you know get get that job or right. start a relationship or whatever it is.
1: And one key thing about UBI though is there's multiple models the popular one is usually ubi on top of current government poverty alleviation programs which but, is
0: what stockton was
1: right um then there's others that would say in place of right so all the money you're you know we were spending on social security etc 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 swap that out with say a fifteen hundred dollar check if you're below a certain
0: like a flat amount yeah
1: right? and that, that would save Probably hundreds of millions, if not right, bill, hundreds of billions, we're talking Administrative about. Administrative costs, right. right? Yep,
0: yep. So uh, anyway, um, yeah, I, I think states and localities should be experimenting and thinking about this. I mean, it is... And the existing labyrinth, adding all these programs, it's just a lot, uh, it's difficult if you are in poverty or disabled Mm -hmm. or elderly to take advantage of, it's just a a labyrinth of programs that have been created, (laughs) the DMV of poverty, (laughs) you have to wade through to get this, so. Yeah, um, like they're
1: there, but many people can't even take advantage of them. Or Or it's just hours of your life to do
0: that, it's very difficult. Um, Non-priced,
1: but not free. (laughs)
0: anyway
1: (laughs) should we shift to media stinkers and thinkers
0: let's do it taylor what is your stinker
1: i think it is the general response that i was seeing yesterday to the oversight boards decision to uh well to tell facebook to not reinstate trump for six months and just the degree of people losing their minds and well conf- you
0: have to say the other half of the of the decision of facebook has to reassess it
1: in, in six, six months, months right. Right. right 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 but people are saying this oversight board is a government that private corporations are a threat to our liberties he might be but all the language that should be used for the actual government <laughs> for this biden speech <laughs> exactly like a week after <laughs> the president of the united states in the actual government proposed a tremendous expansion of the actual government
0: <laughs> who can throw you in jail and take all your money
1: <laughs> people mainly this new conservative movement uh were losing their minds over one an independent body that one company that makes up like a fraction, a small fraction of the internet. <laughs> it, it just was completely disproportional to actual problems. And it was, it was a stinker. Collective stinker.
0: I will just say amen to that. I will disclose that I do a little bit of work with the oversight board, so I cannot comment on it. But I concur. Um, <laughs> my stinker is going to surprise you.
1: It's
0: a movie we we'll watched watch together.
1: <sighs>
0: the Sound of Metal.
1: Oh, you didn't like it?
0: Okay. I liked it. So that's not oh. why it's my stinker. Oh, I thought okay. it was artistically beautiful. It was so interesting how they used sound True. to illustrate deafness. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I thought there were a lot of great things about it. It's my stinker for two reasons. One, they did such a good job with um, this this. The main character becomes deaf in the movie. They did such a good job with the sound, with the suspense, with Mm -hmm. leading into it, that I was so anxious the entire time. Like I felt it in my body. I was just like so anxious. So it was a stinker because it left me feeling really anxious, which probably achieved its goal. (laughs) But the biggest reason is um, I thought it was disappointing that they chose the actor who did a great job.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, he himself is not actually deaf. And I think it's really yeah. unfortunate now that I um, am disabled. I see this trend that in Hollywood, all of these mo- there are lots of movies that portray disabled people or deaf people mm. uh, and their stories, but they don't pick actors themselves who are disabled. They pick mm. able-bodied people to play
1: disabled right. people
0: when there are lots of actors with disabilities yeah. who are seeking opportunities um so that was just really disappointing it i stinks. thought um unlike the movie we love the peanut butter falcon yes. had a great disabled actor um and so i i just think that we need to go more in that direction and we need to call it
1: out that's good good stinker taylor and a good message
0: what is your thinker
1: we have a co-thinker, right? The movie Barb and Star, Go to Vista Del Mar.
0: Yes, we normally don't collaborate on our thinkers, but we watched it together. Oh my gosh. Looked at each other, we're like, this is our thinker.
1: <laughs> That's how our week is sorted now. What a fantastic movie. I don't yes. I don't think I've had that much fun in a movie in a It while. was, it was
0: non-stop fun.
1: Well okay, well I've had so I've had fun in movies. Probably like more recently, but I haven't laughed that much. No. In a movie in a long time. I
0: mean, we could have been a little loopy, but we our son was sick that day, so we were kind of running out of fumes, but ah, it was just hilarious.
1: Oh, I, I mean, we absolutely can't, we watching it, can't give it, it away yeah.
0: what was so funny G- about it.
1: Don't even look it up.
0: Don't watch the trailer. You have to
1: go in blind. Yep. You'll it be has amazed. to be a surprise. Yeah. Like, but it's very lighthearted. If you like, uh, what are similar vibes? Oh,
0: Bridesmaids.
1: Yeah, it's you, know, Kristen or... Wiig, and her Ooh. co-writer, co-actress. Um, Who co-wrote Bridesmaids. With had a Napoleon Dynamite vibes. Yeah, it had um, a little bit of Coen Brothers. Huh. Dashed. It's like a it's a cocktail of <laughs> of like drier, funny movies.
0: But we can't give it away, so right. You know, don't tell us if you watch it and you're like, what in the world were Taylor and Rachel talking about? Don't burst our bubble. We thought it was hilarious.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I want to watch it again just to see the staying power. Will it be funny again? Was it a one and done? We're planning, we're plotting like, who do we watch it with? (laughs) like who 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 is worthy who will actually well mainly the question is like who won't like run away in horror so
0: you listeners out there let us know if you're worthy
1: we'll host a podcast contest write a two-page essay why do you think you deserve watching it i know it's terrible it's a great movie boy did i love it all right good good episode i think
0: thanks for listening (laughs) (laughs) You'll tell us if it wasn't. (laughs) (laughs)